Yo, I'm Evan Mack of the Mac Mania Podcast with my two fellas. I'm Brooklyn Zone, Flobo Voice. And I'm the Hall of Farmer, Jack Farmer. Follow and listen on Spotify and catch us on the Spotify Green Room after major wrestling events. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Weekends with Waz on the Ringers NBA podcast. Of course, I'm Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazzy Lambray, and I'm joined by a very special friend of mine, all the way from the bean, Jared Weiss of The Athletic. What's going on, brother? How did you get them to convince you to work on the weekends? All right, <laughs> we, can, we, can give, we can give the people real talk. I got a call from Bill Simmons. He called my phone. That sounds compelling. Okay. And he said, yo, we think um, there's an opening on weekends. We think you should do it. I was like, cool. <laughs> Let's do it's it. Like, can I record in Poppy? <laughs> relax. <laughs> you better relax. Hey, man, listen. Um, the Boston Celtics going into the NBA All-Star break. One of the hottest teams in the league. Obviously, they just recently lost their last game going into the break. But I think they had won nine straight games before that if I'm not mistaken. And it seems like they basically righted the ship after starting off the season pretty shakily and a lot of grumblings and rumblings out there, right? Uh, about the coach, about the Brown and Tatum thing, about, you know, a myriad of, of stuff. Uh, what was the what was ailing them earlier on in the season when they seemed to be struggling? I, I think it mostly starts with, right at the beginning, big change to the defensive scheme from Emi Odoka. They're switching mm. everything. And he actually said the other day that he was overdoing it, which is kind of what I thought all along is they were overdoing it on purpose to try to learn. And when they first were starting the switching at the beginning of the year, they were screwing up like every single game. 
and teams were just running past them all the time, getting uncontested layups. So they kind of got that down. They got good enough at it that they could read when to switch and when not to switch. So they weren't just obviously automatically switching mm. every time. They started mixing different coverages. Defense got more complex. Defense started to, started to get pretty good. Mm. About a month ago, he made a key change of the scheme, which is he took Rob Williams off of the center. And Rob Williams now basically kind of plays a zone on the back line of the defense where he's guarding the shooter in the corner or whatever else, but it allows him to stay near the rim and they have Al Horford or Grant Williams defending up on the ball on the pick and rolls. So now they're pretty good at stopping pick and rolls. And if they let anybody get through, Rob Williams cleans it up every single time. And Williams has gotten very, very good at that. He's turning into one of the best defensive centers in the league now. He's still got a little ways to go before he's at the top tier, but he's been really damn good this year. And they just, they really have the defense completely balanced out now. And so that's kind of the biggest difference, at least on that end. And then we can get into the offense. Offense was, was a disaster for a while, and they've made some pretty good strides there. Yeah, I do want to talk about the offense because I feel like the offense is what gets the most attention on this team, and rightfully so because of the two young studs, right? And, you know, of course, we all remember Marcus Smart's um, comments earlier in the year about basically guys aren't passing the ball, saying that the offense was predictable in crunch time. And, you know, people were basically, he was basically complaining about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, I thought it was pretty rich coming from a guy who had, like, <laughs> taken 22 shots that game or something ridiculous like that. But at the same time, when you did sort of go in and watch Boston at the end of games, there was a bit of predictability to what they were trying to do. So aside, and we, I want to get into the acquisition of Derek White a little bit later, but aside from that, because obviously he just got there, what did they do to sort of goose some level of change to what they were doing offensively. Yeah, Derek White is a big part of that solution. But it's funny. I was the one that asked that Smart that question. And his answer was exactly the stuff I had been saying the entire time. And it was just, I guess it was Okay, it was go refreshing. ahead and yourself on the bat. Yeah, I'd be mean, sure. But it's, I don't even mean so much to humble brag as much as that. Like what he said is the stuff that everybody else was basically saying. And it just took somebody to have the balls on the team to say it. Mm. And he should not have said it publicly. He should have kept that in-house. But the reason why he did it, I think, is that he wanted to force change. And mm. it sort of did, I guess, at that point. And for him, he came into the lead, into the year expecting to be the point guard. And they were talking about him being the point guard. But then the last seven minutes of the game, it was Jason and, J and Jalen running point most of the time. Mm. And that forces him to be a shooter or attacker out of the wing, which isn't quite his strong suit. When they had Dennis Schroeder out there with them closing games, and then Rod Williams is at the five, they got no shooters around the guy handling the ball who's one of their best shooters. So it really goes to that January 8th game. I think it was the 8th against the Knicks where they're at MSG. They're in control the whole game. And Jason Tatum's going off in the second half. But besides him, nobody else is scoring. Tatum is carving the defense apart, kicking it out to Smart. Smart swings it to Dennis Schroeder, front rim. Other way around, Smart shoots it, front rim. Meanwhile, Knicks are hitting every single shot. They're not getting any stops. Evan Fournier is getting his revenge on the Celtics. And they end up somehow losing that game, even though they were up huge. And after the game, I asked Ime Odoka, you got Grant Williams and Josh Richardson, who are both shooting over 40% from three. How come they're not out there at the end of games when you have Schroeder out there bricking everything smart? You can see why he closes games. He does so much else right, but he's not shooting well either. And that was kind of the first time Udoka's like, you know, those we maybe need to get our shooters out there. 
They make the change after that. Smart got hurt, so Schroeder was still closing because he was running point, but they actually had shooters around the ball for the most part, and they actually started winning from that point on. So I think it was fixing that crunch time offensive issue was the big thing for them because they were generally playing fine for most of the game throughout the season and would just have these insane epic collapses, like mm. not, not hitting a shot for seven minutes, being up by 20 and blowing it, or like 25 or whatever it was against Chicago that prompted them to say those things in November. So it was just that they were having such dramatic losses just because they could not figure out how to score in crunch time and because their offense slowed down so badly in crunch time. And I do want to get into the Ime Udoko part of it all, right? Um, again, new coaching, everybody comes in when they're new to a place and they want to sort of make their imprint and try to implement a sort of culture that is unique to whatever it is that they bring to the table, right? You mentioned what he did with the extreme levels of switching because he wanted them to be a switchier bunch. And, you know, there was some stops and starts and hiccups to start. Uh, the offense can't really say he was adding any real level of innovation there when it's like at the end of games, we're letting Jalen and Jason do everything. Um, now that we're, shoot, 50, 60-something games into the regular season, what's your sense of how he's been able to settle down and, like, it, has he found a sort of footing here with the team? Because, you know, you get those examples, like last year with Indiana, for example, where the guy comes in and everybody's like, immediately, get this guy out of here. <laughs> um, I remember LeBron's first season, or no, it was the second season afterwards with uh, David Blatt. And it's just like, they, they tolerated him for one year and then dude was like 30 and 11 and they got him out of there, right? So we see this, like it doesn't matter how early into your contract you are. Sometimes you could be a new coach and if dudes aren't feeling you, it could get really hot under your seat really quickly. It seems like Udoka sort of found an equilibrium there. Uh, how has he been able to do that? I think by staying true to himself and just kind of holding through the really tough part of the break-in period because, he, I mean, they presented him pretty clearly as a straightforward guy who is going to tell you exactly what he thinks and mm. he's going to think things that you're not going to want to hear a lot of the time, but he's going to give it to you straight mm. and he's going to do enough to establish a trust that you don't take it as antagonistic. And mm. everybody around the team keeps saying like, yeah, he's hard and he's direct, but we respect it. And now it's working finally. And it's really working because they've just, he's made some tweaks that I, I don't think it would be working if he hadn't made the tweaks and the roster changes definitely help a lot for sure. Getting rid of Dennis Schroeder helps them a ton. Bringing in Derek White helps them a ton, but Really, I think it's just at the end of the day, he kind of stuck through doing what he wanted to do for the most part. And when they finally got healthy and had some continuity, like they actually started playing really well. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, again, you're hearing the stuff out of Boston like, oh, maybe this guy doesn't know what he's doing or maybe he's this. And then you talk about the personality, the, the personality. He knows. Of course he does. You talk about the personality quirks. And I remember guys if not publicly making sure that media people knew the important guys on the team were super behind the hire and so i, I you know i it was I, it struck me kind of weird that there would be this beef with a guy that everybody wanted in there and it seems like those guys um he has their ear and they've fallen in line with what he's trying to do yeah, I mean, this team has just enough runway with uh, with Jalen and Jason on their contracts that those guys can be a little bit patient. So 
I don't know why. I don't know why the whole break up the Jays thing picked up steam so much earlier mm. this year. I think probably just because it was the second straight season of them struggling. And I mean, I was saying before the season, like if Jalen Brown is, is doesn't think this team is going to be on track to win by the end of the season, the next year is going to be the year where that stuff really happens because you're not going to keep him as a lame duck, or at least once he becomes in his lame duck year, last year of his contract, he's no longer under restricted free agency coming up. Then obviously the, the vultures start circling. You got to start figuring out what to do from there. So you know, this year wasn't the year to panic. It was really next year, but they were just so bad at the beginning of the year. And they had made all these moves that basically made it so that they're stuck with all these contracts. But the point is to try to make a big trade in the offseason. But who the hell do you trade for? It didn't seem like Bradley Beal was going to fix this issue. Zach Levine probably isn't going to be gettable. Dame Lillard, especially now with the health issues, it's like you don't really know if that's really a move there. So it seemed like there just was no long-term solution for this team. And now we're seeing, especially with this Derek White trade, where they gave up a lot of assets to get someone who's getting paid a good amount, like a lot for a six-man, essentially. Uh, they're basically, it seems like for now, leaning into building completely around just the core of Tatum and Brown and thinking that Rob Williams and probably Marcus Smart and Derek White will be good enough around them that they don't need to have a third star, which is looking like a pretty decent bet right now. But obviously, the way that they're playing, it's mostly against bad competition. So we'll see if they can keep dominating against better competition coming up. So, again, I, this is why I'm so happy I'm talking to you today because you basically read my mind of where I wanted to take this because I did want to do a bit of a vibe check, if you will, <laughs> on the Brown and Tatum arranged marriage, right? Because, uh, look, I was watching... Tatum on the JJ Reddick podcast in preparation of talking to you today. And, you know, two things I thought was super interesting. One, he was like, I'm in constant dialogue with Jace, with Jalen about how we feel about what we're doing here. Do we believe in the mission that we're taking part in over here? Do we want to be here together doing this? Um, and he said some he said some incredible things. He one he said, look, the grass isn't always greener. Like players like Jalen Brown <laughs> don't grow on trees, right? Like, are we just gonna get a guy in here who's just much better than Jalen? I don't feel like that's the case. And he was like, look, you could trade me. Are you? I think I'm one of the best guys in the league. Are you just easily gonna be able to get another guy in here? And again, he's saying that in a public platform, but you're on the ground, Jared. You're as plugged in as anybody is over there. Do you get that sense like that's honestly where these guys are coming from, where they're locked in in a belief of what they get still accomplished together? Yeah, it's it's they people try to pull them apart because they think they see it not working and they think that there must be some sort of issue between them for it not to work. And because we live in a world that exaggerates everything to such dramatic binary polarizing ends where it's either they're the clo they're either DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry or they're Kobe and Shaq and like there's nothing in between. <laughs> It's like most of these partnerships around the NBA of guys yeah. that are great teammates together, like they they don't like they have their own camps. They you know, they have their own crews. They probably chill together a decent amount, but they have, you know, they kind of, they do their own thing for the most part. And mm -hmm. like J like Jalen and JT do not hang out a ton together. 
when they're out outside because honestly, like JT is at home with his kid most of the time, mm -hmm. or he's doing really small dinners with a few of his people and like a couple teammates. And JB kind of has his own crew, but they're so cool together. I've seen them chilling together outside where, uh, you know, where like the cameras are gone and like everything's completely normal, at least gotcha. from everything I've seen. Everyone I've talked to in the camps is like, yeah, they get along fine, they work really well together. They've been talking, they've been like creating a pretty strong narrative and storyline of like us talking and having conversations and working through things together and all that stuff. And like, even with Smart, it's like Smart has caused so much drama publicly and even privately, but like they're all still cool with them and they all still work together pretty well. It's just that it's, they also have their styles of working and that doesn't always click and create results the way you want it to. But like at the end of the day, as far as I see it, the issue is really just about like Tatum is entrenched in Boston. It's pretty clear that he's the primary guy for the franchise. He's mm. the one closing and running the offense at the Wait, end of games. Why do you say that? Why do you say that it's pretty clear that Tatum is the guy? Um, it, because he's running the offense more at the end of games. Mm. Uh, he makes, I think, he makes a bigger defensive impact mm. um, because he is around because he makes plays around the rim more. Mm. Brown, Brown also it's Brown is is really good at guarding guys one on one in specific matchups probably better than Tatum is a lot of the time but now that they're switching and helping I, I think the individual ability to shut a guy down throughout a game isn't as useful as it was in their older mm. scheme so I feel like that gives Tatum a bit of an edge but it's really that Tatum's the one making the all-star team over and over and like mm. Jalen just cracked through he Jalen seemed pretty pissed off he didn't get it this year it's like if the team was just better earlier on he probably would have been the one to sneak in but he hasn't been shooting the ball that well this year his numbers haven't really improved since last year Tatum's haven't really improved since last year either but you're seeing Tatum's playmaking is becoming kind of central to their offense now and he and it's like it makes sense for him to be an all-star i don't know if he's quite a, a starting level all-star like he ended up being because of an injury replacement but he's been he's been good enough this year to make it so i think those are the main factors and at the end of the day like jalen his contract's gonna expire sooner he's not on a max deal they somehow got him for sub max which I, at the time i was surprised by even though so many people thought he was being overpaid hey. and uh it was pretty obvious right away that he was being dramatically underpaid he's clearly a max <laughs> player and so jalen just at a certain point might decide that he wants something different where he could be the like he could be the clear face of a franchise he could be in a community that he can really take a larger role in which i think he has a pretty good opportunity to do that in boston but maybe he wants to end up back in atlanta or another city uh like that so there's there just seems to be a little bit more a little less stability or i guess Brown feels a little less entrenched as the clear mm. franchise cornerstone than Tatum does, even though I think Brown's done just about everything he can do to earn that. Okay. Um, Boston fans, I hope you heard that. Jared Vice is kicking Brown out of the town. <laughs> He's shipping him off to some free agent destination where he could be the man and take over the community. I, I hope y'all know, remember y'all heard that here first. Hey, I like Jamie. I don't want him to leave. Weekends with Waz uh, with my man, Jared Weiss. But but no, but seriously, and you know, just because I know people are going to say, oh, media breaking them apart. No. Another thing that I thought was important about Tatum's conversation with J.J. Reddick, which I would implore everybody to go listen to, um, he talked about the 2019 team and he literally said there was an obvious rift. Not to say that between the, the um, Gordon Hayward, Kyrie, sort of veteran faction, and the young guys who felt like, well, we took a team to the, the brink of the finals last year. We should be getting stuff. And I only mention that to say that, like, 
these guys have been part of a team rift before. It's not beyond them, either one of them, to participate in a rift. So <laughs> it's nice that they have it together right now, but it's not, you know, th th they've participated in a team fraction before. And so I think it's relevant to ask. Although they were aligned, you know, they were on the same faction in the previous iteration of a Boston team, you know, fracas or whatever. But things can change. We've seen that over and over in the NBA. I think that's the number one thing we know in the NBA is that things can change. And so I do want to move on, though, to... The Derek White situation, because I'll be the first to admit, I sort of poo-pooed the trade in the sense that, I mean, the guy's shooting 31% from three. Um, he's not this on-the-ball playmaker, right? Uh, so it's not like he's changing their lives doing that as far as finding guys and creating for other guys. But what I didn't realize, what I missed at the time and watching them play recently is how unsticky his hands are when he gets the ball. That thing is in, it's out, it's moving, he's cutting, he's shooting, he's figuring something out, which is important <laughs> when you play with Jalen Brown, <laughs> when you play with Marcus Smart, <laughs> when you play with Jason Tatum. It's important to have one of these connector type of guys. And it struck me watching Boston play recently, the ball is whizzing around now in a way that... I don't remember the last time I saw this team play that way. What can you say about what Derek White's done to the team? Because I'll be the first to admit, I got this one wrong. Yeah, they, they're actually starting to look. He reminds me of Gordon Hayward in his role with the Celtics. Mm. Because Hayward, and that was part of the issue with Hayward, going back to what you were talking about. I mean, the, the whole rift thing was back was just Kyrie was on his, like his high horse kind of situation. <laughs> and then there was so much frustration no, that Hayward. Kyrie, Kyrie being like, a dick to the people that he works with? No, we've never seen that before. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. He was always great to me. Uh, so he, you had Hayward. The problem with Hayward was that he just couldn't play. He just was not good yet. He had like three good games in the whole damn season. The next year he was great and things worked out really well. Mm -hmm. But he just wasn't ready. And Stevens was, Stevens just, Stevens at some point should have been like, all right, Gordon, you're not playing well. We gotta, we gotta scale you back a little bit and give more opportunity for other guys. And so that was really where the rift was. You come back now and or you you go to that bubble run, and mm -hmm. he was actually hurt for a lot of the bubble run. But throughout that year, Hayward was just the guy that they never, they very rarely really ran the team through him. But you would get to that second it's action in the play. The, yeah, he was like their point guard, basically. But he was like a secondary point guard, sort of. Mm. It would be like the second part of a play, he would be a big part of that. And him being both, one, he's a good shooter, but a really smart playmaker, and not just being able to get downhill, draw the whole defense, kick it out, but like you're saying about Derek White, just knowing when to very quickly zip that swing pass to the next guy, when to take two dribbles in and then make the pass, when to wait for the closeout to come so you can get around the closeout. That's the stuff that Derek White does really well, and also cutting and rebounding. That's yep. another big part. Derek White, I think he'll his big impact is going to be that when the Celtics are getting shut down on one side of a play, he's going to know when to like sneak down towards the rim and be the cutter that gets the ball passed to him and then pass out of that. He's going to be able to come up high when Jason Tatum is getting blitzed and give him that outlet so then he can go make a play. He just kind of gives them 
a good decision maker in every single part of the play. And really, their big thing they need to figure out with him is that right now he's spending a lot of time out in the corner and he's breaking shots from there. And that's that's the one role you don't want him in. You don't want him out towards the corners because he can't really do that much of what he does well out from the corners. So they have to figure out a way to get him closer to the ball and get him more involved more consistently, especially in crunch time. And that's when they'll be really good. But I am a little bit worried now that if they're closing games and it's him out there instead of Grant Williams, who's shooting the ball really well, then they're not going to have enough shooting out there and they're going to run into some of their similar problems. But the big difference between what they had with Dennis Schroeder before and what they have with him now is that he he just he he is a more active player and he's a more willing passer than Schroeder is. Mm-hmm. And he also takes smarter shots than Schroeder. He just, actually with White, he doesn't really shoot that much. He doesn't seem to really like shooting. And he doesn't really get to <laughs> he doesn't really get to, he doesn't really have that many good finishing moves in the paint. So for him, it's like he only really wants to shoot if he's like got a clear mid-range look or if he can cut and hit a layup in the paint, stuff like that. But he's really looking to cut and move the ball as much as possible. And they really need that. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Man, uh, I know you saw that that uh, 538's model <laughs> has the Celtics currently... <laughs> As the team to beat, the team that's gonna come out of the East, that's what they got. Um, yeah, data's not always data. <laughs> There's always there is an art form to data, that's for sure. Okay, well, you know, I'm just saying, I was just giving you an opportunity to be an extreme homer and agree with them. Yeah, that ain't uh, me. Sorry to to spin it forward, Jared. What do you think they can do in the Eastern Conference playoffs, spinning it forward? Because Look, man, um, we, we 
Tatum and Brown are kind of known commodities, but it's the other stuff. It's the ancillary pieces that I think make them more interesting now. The stuff that you said that they're doing with Time Lord now on defense, where he's manning the paint and always around the basket, where teams can't do the smart thing and be like, oh, you want to, <laughs> you, you you're a great rim protector. Let's get you on somebody and bring you as far away from the paint as humanly possible. The fact that they're scheming up ways to keep him over there doing what he can do. All the things that you mentioned that Derek White is bringing to the team, Marcus Smart seemingly being in a great place mental health-wise. And so he's doing all the things that he's capable of doing. Of course, man, I remember seeing Grant Williams at uh, the Chicago pre-draft stuff, um, the, 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 the combine, the year that he entered the draft. I guess that would have been 2019 yeah. um, is when I would have seen him. And he was just... Bigger, better than everybody at that combine. And everybody came away going like, damn, like this dude is obviously a pro. Hopefully he can make a shot. And he's proven that he can make shots now. You know, when he's open, he knocks it down. So it's like they have something there. Um, obviously their coach is unproven, especially within the playoff format. What do you think they can do, you know, in the playoffs this year against the big dogs in Milwaukee, in um, Miami? In Philly now, I still think Brooklyn is going to make noise once KD is back to being healthy. What do you think they can do in the playoffs? I actually, I like them for the playoffs because they play a playoff-style brand of basketball. Like, they yeah. already switch. They already Their switch, offense, yep. they, they, they got already, one-on-one guys, yep. They got one-on-one -on -one guys. They they already mismatch Hunt a ton, which is how mm. it just goes in the playoffs, mm. even if it's hideous a lot of the time. And just the way their offensive, play, like the way their playbook is designed, it's the kind of stuff that you would do in the playoffs. It's a lot of running at, like run a pick and roll to the right side and then bring the ball back around to the left side and attack from there and then try to find a kick out. Like those are the kind of simplistic plays that you run a lot in the postseason. And so I, I think that th they're already playing the kind of basketball style that they're going to play at that point. They have a bunch of guys that are pretty well experienced in that regard. And Everyone's getting better. Like you can see clear improvement in the way Tatum and, and Brown are playing, the way Rob Williams is playing. Smart has finally hit a hot streak and he's playing some of his best basketball the last few years, but he just rolled his ankle. So we'll see how long, how much it affects him. He's he's probably going to be back in some of the one of the first few games uh, coming back from the all-star break, but obviously he might be playing through some discomfort. So we'll see what happens there. But I, I think the big thing is now that they have white, they I don't think teams can really scheme against their defense because they just, they have, when they close games with smart white Brown Tatum and Rob Williams, like they have a really good defender at every position. There's no one to target at that point. Um, and so I, I think they just don't have much defensive vulnerability. They're probably their main factor uh, is going to be, well, Brown and Tatum, the progress they've made as playmakers, is that going to get stunted when they start facing really good defenses scheming against them in the playoffs? And Will their, will their poor shooting talent bury them? Because the big thing they didn't do with the deadline is they didn't acquire plus shooting. Daniel Tice is not a good shooter. Derek Wright's not a good shooter. You got Rob Williams and Al Horford out there most of the time. Both of those guys don't really shoot the ball well outside. Al, Al at times has been a good shooter, but pretty, pretty bad this year. So Grant Williams, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum are your only reliable shooters in the rotation. And then Peyton Pritchard, who knows if he's going to get out there. He's, you know, he's, he's a skilled shooter, but he's pretty erratic. And Aaron Neesmith so far has just not shown me anything that makes me think he's going to be in the rotation. So right now, unless I'm forgetting somebody, I think that was everybody. Because smart, you know, smart, smart, smart. Some nights, like 
fourth quarter of a game six, he might be Clay Thompson. And then the rest of the series, he's going to be Marcus Smart. So you, you never know with them. But so that's the big variable. And that's why yeah. even though they're playing so well and they just killed Philadelphia, like they humiliated Philadelphia, then Philadelphia next game came out and beat the Bucks. So it's like yeah. that Philadelphia team, it wasn't like they were a hoax. Like that was, that was a pretty impressive win. But we haven't, we just, we haven't seen it enough against enough full strength, really good teams. They beat Denver. That was a good game. They got Memphis coming up. They have, uh, they, they have a few good opponents coming up. We'll see if Brooklyn has some of the, I don't think Ben Simmons is going to be playing at that point, but you know, maybe, and I don't think KD is going to be back at that point, but maybe Brooklyn will be, uh, have some of their guys back and that'll be a real test Thursday. But either way, it's like we see, even though they're playing mediocre opponents we have seen some very clear schematic changes and some changes in the way these guys kind of like the, the way that they're playing out there that i'm pretty sure this is going to carry over well enough that they should still be one of the best teams in the east and i mean they have i think they still have the best net rating in the eastern conference right now which is insane mm. so you know i want to get you out of here on this last thing um danny ainge departed from the team last year the wonder boy Brad Stevens takes over in his job as basically the president of basketball ops. Um, and obviously, it's different now. What have you noticed since Brad has taken on this role? Uh, what, what has it meant for Brad to now be the boss of the operation? And what's the contrast between him and Danny? Um, there's got to be. Some differences there. Not that not that the new guy is running things. Besides the fact that he's going out and he's doing the classic <laughs> former Celtics coach Doc Rivers thing and bringing his old guys back. <laughs> yeah. So I think the big thing with Stevens is his his moves are coming from what seems like a former coach getting. Getting Derek White, I mean, the, the, the Tice one is obvious. Like, you know, they just got a guy in a long-term deal who's making te almost $10 million as a backup center who can't shoot the ball. Like, that's a pretty that's a pretty obvious coach move there, right? But the Derek White move, I think, was the one that where he very clearly confirmed the difference between him and Ainge. Ainge was someone who tried to squeeze all of the value he could out of everything, and he would sit back and wait until he could find something where he could really maximize value. Brad Stevens has made a bunch of kind of negative value moves basically like the uh what do you mean like by negative value so the, here's what i mean so like the al horford deal mm -hmm. they traded away kemba walker and his giant contract and got rid of a the 16th pick in the draft which is a really good first round pick turned mm -hmm. into alprin shangun who looks like he would have been a really important piece of their future so basically sacrifice an important piece of their future just to open up salary cap freedom next year essentially and because we're seeing with Al Horford, Al Horford's been good, but he hasn't been good enough to be worth to giving up a middle. What they you know, did. Justify getting giving up Shangun. So that is that is a that's a that's a value sacrifice move in order to make an important what they seemed what they thought was an important financial move and make some improvements to the rotation. And this year, honestly, if if Horford was just shooting like thirty four percent from three, then he would be good. He'd be everything they want. It's just that he's he just continues to not be able to hit his shots. Otherwise, he's been really good. And we'll see. Horford every year in the playoffs like dramatically turns it up. He plays way better in the playoffs. So we'll see if that happens this year. Um, then the Derek White trade is the other big one. Derek White, they give up a first round pick and Josh Richardson, which right there, if it's just that, you're like, okay, that's a re really good value trade. But then. And I asked Stevens about this in his presser, and he's like, yeah, that was a doozy. They give up an unprotected 2028 pick swap, which is far enough into the future that Tatum and Brown could be gone. They could be like the worst team in the NBA at that point. 
And it's top one protected, but they could lose like the second round, the second pick in the draft at that point for Derek White. You have to win the title. Like Derek White has to win finals MVP basically to justify that. If it ends at up the same blocking. time, you can justify and say, was the last time the Spurs had a freaking top five pick or, you know, or weren't, you know, whatever, middle of the pack. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it seems like they've been running the treadmill of mediocrity anyway. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I kind of. Well, but, that, but that's the point that that means that they're more likely to have to lose their pick if their pick is bet if they have a better pick. So sure. So the, the point is, is that it's like it's there's a good chance they are going to lose that draft pick if they are not if Tatum and Brown are still not here and they're because at that point if Tatum and Brown are still there they're probably one of the best teams in the game. I think you make the the argument that the Spurs aren't going to be picking in the. 30s or the yeah. 29th pick. That that that's what a coach is gonna tell themselves. Like whatever, they're not gonna be that bad. They're the Spurs, you know. That's that's how. But that's how coaches think. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so point being is they paid they paid a big price for Derek White, who is making 18 million for a few more years as a six man in his prime. Like that's that's a lot to pay a six man. It basically means it seems like they have taken themselves out of the running of trying to make a huge trade for a star. It's that's that's what it seems to mean. So basically, Ainge kept holding out year after year. Did it couldn't get it? You know, he thought he was going to get AD, and then AD did not, and he went to the Lakers. And he continued to try to stay as flexible as possible so that they could make a huge move. And Stevens instead has been like, "Screw this! Let's just keep incrementally building and get as get really good around Tatum and Brown and bet on Tatum and Brown hitting." that sub MVP level where they're good enough that they can actually win a championship around that. And I like it because the team I'm watching now is pretty fun to watch, honestly, yep. right now. And it's a, it's honestly, it's really annoying covering a team where you're just talking about a potential huge swing in the future because it creates higher stakes and higher pressure and people get more and more pissed off when it doesn't work out. And so, you know, like at the end of the day, Ainge got screwed because Kyrie got hurt and Hayward got hurt. It, you know, Ainge, Ainge might look like one of the greatest GMs of all time if both those guys stayed healthy because they would have had a really good chance of winning a title if they had stayed healthy. And they didn't. They got really screwed there. They brought in Kemba Walker. I really like the move from a basketball perspective. We don't know how much Charlotte and Boston knew about Kemba Walker's knee issues, but Kemba Walker was everything they wanted him to be, and they were really good, and then his career fell apart. So they've gotten horrible luck with injuries, and... Now, Stevens is thinking, like, let's just bet on guys that we know are going to be good and are making pretty close. Like, even if they're a little bit overpaid and it's not great value, we know we're at least going to be good and we can really bet on our young guys to keep growing. And Rob Williams now, too, is showing, like, the promise. There's still a lot of ceiling left with those guys. So this team can still grow from the sub-contender level to the clear contender level with what they have now. I love it, man. Thank you for coming on the show today, Jared, man. Tell people where they can find you and your work because you're excellent at what you do. Uh, Jared Weiss, MBA. I am over at The Athletic for all things writing and talking. I love it. We'll see you guys next week. Um, I'm Big Waz. This was Weekends with Waz on the Ringers NBA podcast. We out of here. Peace. Hey,